month because I'm like almost always here. Like this, this is part of what I do. I come on Sundays and uh, for the last three Sundays, I missed two of them. And so the first Sunday that I missed, I was sick. And so uh, Michael was really gracious and he just took care of everything and I stayed home. And then last Sunday, I missed because I went to the beach and it was amazing. I went to a spiritual retreat for one day and I was there with um, two other friends of mine, and then we just stayed an extra day and a half because the beach. <laughs> and so it was so nice. We were gifted this uh, stay at this house, and um, we had no idea. It was a friends of a friend's beach house is all we knew. We knew we had the address, um, but we had no idea what this house was like or where exactly it was located, and we drive up, and it's this gorgeous two-story house right on the beach. And so we really had uh, just a wonderful time. And I think the, the thing I loved most was the time of stillness. Like it was just so slow. The pace was slow. We didn't have a lot to do. And there was a lot of space to be still, to pray, to rest, to play games, to eat good food. There was just space, spaciousness in that time and place. And so it felt very, very restful and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I was ready to come home. It was long enough that I was ready to come home and I come home and I love my family and we had an amazing like evening together the day I came home. And then the next day, it's like we just hit the ground running. It was like splat on the pavement. It was so fast and so full. And it was interesting to think about the difference, like to contrast the time of rest and then just the, the life that gets really busy sometimes. And this was a busy week for us. When I think about that, I think of, of mornings. Uh, mornings at our house are a little bit hectic sometimes. Are mornings hectic at your house getting ready, trying to get... Get, get out the door. Um, I like to blame it on my kids, but sometimes when I'm getting ready, trying to get out the door at a certain time, it's a little bit hectic too. And I was reminded that a few years ago, um, I kept noticing that our, our goodbyes to the girls as they were getting on the bus were, were quite frantic and quite, hurry up, you're going to miss the bus. Like that was the tone in which they were leaving our house. And, and I realized that that tone kind of set the day, set the tone of the rest of the day for them. And so I started asking them a question as they were leaving the house. And I, and I, and I still ask this question. It's kind of become a habit or a ritual, a routine, so to speak. Um, as they leave, I say, okay, who are you? And, and they answer, a loved child of God. Who are you? A loved child of God. And, you know, sometimes that's, they're thoughtful in their response, but most of the time that's just what mom asks, and that's just what we say, and that's just the the routine. But my prayer and my hope is that as my girls leave the house, they will operate out of that identity, that they are loved and that they are children of God. And if I were to be completely honest, my hope and prayer is that I also (laughs) remember that as I walk out the door, it's a good reminder to me that I am loved and that I am a child of God. You see, the final words that we say to people 
matter. Even if it's just a simple little goodbye um, each day on a, on a routine day. And, and, or if it's maybe the last words that we hear from a person. And so today we're going to continue our series in Moses, and we're going to look at his final days and his final words, and those really mattered. We've been in this series, and we're, we're finishing it out today, and the next week we'll conclude this series. But we've looked at the life of Moses, and Moses' life can be divided up into, into thirds. The first 40 years of his life, he uh, was in Egypt. He was born a slave, and yet through some miraculous turns of events, he was raised as royalty in the, in the Pharaoh's household by the Pharaoh's daughter. And he lived there for 40 years until he had to flee. And then when he fled, he fled into the desert of Midian, and he became a shepherd. And he, he went from royalty, like living in, 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 the, in the best place, or, you know, the highest society in Egypt— to wandering the desert with a bunch of sheep, the, the stillness in the desert and the solitude. And God began to work in his life to form him. And then when he was 80 years old, God appeared to him in a burning bush and commissioned him to go back to Egypt because God was going to deliver his people out of Egypt and Moses was going to lead them out. And after a lot of... Um, a lot of excuses and, and hemming and hawing, um, he, he accepts that. And we've been looking at the story of the Exodus as Moses, as God really leads the people out and works through Moses. And God led them out, led them to Mount Sinai, gave them the law, brought them to the promised land. And then last week, we, we, we heard about that story. Once they got there, they got scared, and they didn't want to go in. And so they wandered the desert for 40 years until that generation died out. And that's where we pick up the story today, the final days of Moses, the final words of, of Moses. Um, so what was important to him? What did he say to the Israelites. Let's, let's start our, our reading in Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 1. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. Now I am 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. So Moses had disobeyed God. In, um, in Numbers 20, we read that story where he, he was supposed to strike the rock, and he, or he was supposed to speak to the rock, and he didn't. He stroked the rock. Anyway, he, God was working a miracle through Moses, and Moses chose to disobey God. So that's why Moses is not allowed to cross over, but Joshua would. So he calls them together. I'm no longer able to lead you. Then verse 7, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. 
do not be discouraged. And then Moses um, presents Joshua in front of all the people. He takes Joshua to the tent of meeting, which was the place, this holy place where God would meet with Moses, would meet with the people. And the Lord appeared in a pillar of cloud over the entrance in front of all the people. And then in Deuteronomy 31, verse 23, the Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. So final days, final words of Moses. What's one of the things he says? What's one of the things he does? He releases his responsibilities to Joshua. And he commissions Joshua to be the leader, to lead the people. And we've seen throughout the story of Moses how he's been mentoring Joshua. He has a relationship with Joshua. We've seen how he's been like this leader in training. When Moses goes to the tent of meeting to meet with God and pray, Joshua's there. Joshua's there on his knees praying. Um, when the Israelites were attacked, it was Joshua. Moses sent Joshua to lead the people to, to fight um, and defend the Israelites. When they reached the promised land, Joshua was one of the people who went and explored the promised land and tried to convince the Israelites to follow God, to trust God um, into the promised land. And here we see Moses graciously putting Joshua into leadership and releasing his responsibilities to him. I think that's really, really powerful as a leader. Because how easy would it be for Moses to get pretty grumpy right now and self-righteous and say, hey, here, look at all the things I've done as the leader of these people. Shouldn't I get to go into the promised land? Like, shouldn't I get to see this to completion? But that's not his attitude. His attitude is one of humility. And he recognizes that his part in the story is done. And so he relinquishes the leadership to Joshua. And he commissions Joshua and says, Go, be strong and courageous. And the Lord who brought me into this place, who's equipped me to do this job, the Lord will go with you. The Lord will go before you. So it's really an act of maturity, how Moses knows that he's a part of a bigger story, and the story does not begin or end with him, but rather with with what God is doing with humanity. And so that's one of the first things he does in the last days. And then next, he again gathers all the people, and he speaks and passes on God's message. So he writes down all the instructions that they've received from the Lord, and he writes it down and hands it to the priest. And he commissions the priest. He, he, He tells them every seven years, gather all the people and read it in its entirety. Talk about it. Learn it. 
remember the words of God and follow the words of this law. And as Moses is doing this, God is still speaking to Moses. And in this process, God gives Moses a song, which is really kind of fun and interesting to think about. He gives Moses this song and says, teach it to the Israelites. Now, why would God give Moses a song? Well, because it's an oral tradition. They did have writing, and so that he wrote down the, the law, but there was just that one copy of it. Not a lot of people had books, you know, at that time. And so it was an oral tradition. So if, if God really wanted them to remember something, then they needed to memorize it. And as a th- previous third grade teacher, I know that song is the best way to memorize because we would put all things to, to songs. We would, we would have a whole bunch of different versions of Mary Had a Little Lamb with all this science content and all that, you know, like what, whatever it was that the kids needed to memorize, we'd just put it to a tune and sing it and the kids would remember. And so that's what God is doing here. And so here are some of the the words, uh, Moses's last words, are also God's words that he's given to Moses. And they're words that Israelites are to be remembered. They're really important. And there's kind of this unexpected twist in them. At least for me, it feels really unexpected. Let's read about it. Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 19. This is God speaking to Moses. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites. Have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. This is where like, huh, that didn't, ex- didn't see that one coming. Write down this song. There may be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, when they have eaten their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods. And worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not, it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they're disposed to do. Even before I bring them into the land, I promise them on oath. And so Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. So God gives Moses a song, and the purpose of this song is to be a witness against them. How interesting is that? So it's gonna it's it's like this prophetic piece of of poetry, this song, that once these things happen, they'll remember, oh yeah, now I remember what God said. So there are three parts, main parts or points to this song. First of all, is a witness of God's faithfulness, a witness to Israel's unfaithfulness, and then the consequences of that unfaithfulness. So let's just read a section of it, um, a witness to God's faithfulness. There's this beautiful image in here I want to share with you. In Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 10, in a desert land, he, that is God, found him, that is Israel, in a barren and hollowing waste. 
He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloof, aloof, aloof. I don't know how to say that word. (laughs) Sometimes I grew up in Africa, so sometimes words confuse me. How do you say that word? Aloft. There you go. (laughs) Should have practiced that one. Okay, sorry. I totally derailed us. Like an eagle that stirs up its its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft, the Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. I love this image of God as a mama eagle hovering over her nest, taking care of the little chicks, and then when they're ready to fly, catching them on her wing and carrying them. This is God's, an an image to, to describe God's faithfulness, how he cares for his people, which is greatly contrasted by the next image of Israel's unfaithfulness. Again, this is prophetic. So so this is saying that once you're thriving in that land that I'm going to give you, you're going to forget about me. And Israel here is called Jeshurun, which means the upright one. And again, this is poetry. So this is symbolizing like Israel's ideal character, the, the upright one, the one walking with God. Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 1. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, filled with food. They became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. They made him jealous with the with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God. Gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. And then it gets a little more personal. You, you deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. I mean, contrast this image to the image of God's faithfulness, caring, and here, saying when life gets easier for you, when you're settled and your bellies are full and you have all that you need and you're thriving, then you will forget God and you will turn to other gods. And then the last portion of the song describes the consequences of unfaithfulness, which are disasters and calamities, famine and sword and disease and there's the lines talks about Israel calling to other gods and realizing, oh, there's no answer because Yahweh is the one and only God. And it's interesting as we look at, the, at some of this, um, this is all in the context of covenant. So we've been talking throughout this series about covenant relationship. And that covenant was this solemn vow between two parties to live a certain way, to treat each other a certain way. And God had provided for the Israelites this life-giving Covenant, this life-giving relationships that had these beautiful implications and blessings. And also, 
when that covenant was broken, some pretty harsh consequences. And so this is the context that this, this song appears in. Let's continue um, looking at what Moses says after he gi- gives them this song and teaches them this song. What else does he say to the Israelites? Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 44. Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of the song in the hearing of the people. When Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So he, his final words, as he gives them this song, he says, take these words to heart. They're not idle words. They're not just, it, it, it's, it's not fluff, guys. Like, this is really important. This is really serious. And he pleads with them. You can hear the emotion as you read this text. He pleads with them, choose life. Choose to walk in covenant relationship with God. We're almost through his final days. The next thing um, Moses does is he speaks a blessing over the tribes of Israel. And you can read that in Deuteronomy 33. And then in Deuteronomy 34 is Moses's final days. God has him climb up a mountain and, and w- from a place uh, where he can see the promised land. And God shows him the promised land. It's an act of compassion, I think, by God. He's like, hey, you came this far. Let me at least show it to you. And then in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 34, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Love that, that transfer. Moses had laid his hand on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. So God calls Moses up the mountain. He shows him the promised land. And then Moses dies and God buries him. Isn't that interesting? There's this kind of this mystery. We don't really know much more about what happened on the mountain there. But what I love about it is that to the very end, God was with Moses. 
God was with him to the very, very end of his life. And God was faithful to Moses. Now, we know that Moses wasn't always faithful to God. We were reminded of that in his, the timing of his death before they cross over into the promised land. And yet, Moses really had a remarkable relationship with God. He's described as someone whom the Lord knew face to face. And so God was able to use him powerfully with all these signs and miracles to get the Israelites out of Egypt. So those were his final days, final moments. Let's just zoom out for a second. What were the final words from Moses? Well, he commissioned Joshua as a leader. He said, be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. So he relinquished his leadership. He gathered the Israelites and he said, remember God's instruction. In fact, I've written it all down. Here's the law of the covenant. Read it, learn it, follow it. He teaches them this song. It says, remember God's faithfulness. Recognize your unfaithfulness. And know that those consequences are coming. And then he urges them to choose life with God. He pleads with them, choose life with God. You know, when people pass away, we often think about the legacy that they leave. Like, what, what kind of legacy are they leaving? And legacy is simply something that's passed on to the next generation. And sometimes that's like material wealth. Um, but other times we talk about people's legacy as, as their character or their passions. Um, and I think Moses' final words are part of his legacy. And they're powerful because they're an extension of how he lived. They weren't just like different from the rest of his life. They were an extension of his leadership of the Israelites' people. He's described as one, someone who knew God face to face, and God worked powerfully through him. And we see in his story continually over and over, Moses goes back to God, seeking God's guidance. And so the legacy seen in Moses' final words, I think, are Moses' deepest desire for the Israelites to know God and to follow God, to know God and to walk in covenant relationship with God. Here today, we're at a different point in the story. So if you look at the grand story of God's covenant relationship with um, humanity, those of us in this room who, who've committed to following Jesus, we're part of a new covenant relationship with God through Jesus. Jesus, God in human form, came to make God known. Jesus, God in human form, demonstrated what the perfect life of love looks like. Jesus, God in human form, took the consequences of people breaking covenant, people like us breaking covenant with God and invites us instead to receive mercy and grace and freedom from our sin. Jesus, God in human form, invites us to live in step with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in us and around us, working in this world to heal and to restore and to bring about God's good purposes in this world. 
though we're at a different part of this story, we're, we're part of the new covenant with Jesus, I think there's some beautiful invitations for us in the final words of Moses. Moses' final words still apply as, as he pleads and invites the Israelites, and, and, and I want to invite us to know God and to walk with God in covenant relationship, to recognize how God is faithful, always, constantly faithful, to recognize God's love towards us, to acknowledge our unfaithfulness, the ways that we fall short. And when we see that, when we recognize that, to turn towards God and to receive grace through Jesus. I want us to hear today Moses' invitation to choose life. Choose life. And in our vantage point, uh, a part of the new covenant, and we know what the, part, the rest of the story or part of the story that happened after this, we know that abundant life can be found in Jesus. A life of love and purpose, a life of mission, of grace and compassion and healing and transformation through the Holy Spirit. There is abundant life, friends, in Jesus. And if this is new to you, if you've not heard this story before, if, if you're not sure who this, this Jesus is yet, we just want you to know that we'd love to talk more about that. If you came with someone, ask them. Ask them, what, what are you, what is your experience with faith? What is your experience with Jesus? We would love to have more conversations about that. And if you've already committed to walking with Jesus, I want to remind us that this choice to choose life isn't just a one-time thing, okay, now I can check it off, I'm done. It's like a daily invitation to choose to walk in the abundant life through Jesus. It's a daily invitation to surrender ourselves to God and say, yes, your will be done. Your kingdom come is a kingdom of goodness and a kingdom of love. And so today my prayer is, for all of us, myself included, may we choose the abundant life found in Jesus. And may Jesus' grace and love just saturate our very being, every little nook and cranny. And as we walk out our doors, or even in our homes, especially in our homes, as we live, may this love of Jesus just overflow and overflow out of us in every single interaction that we have. I invite you to pray with me. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for the invitation to know you, to walk with you. Jesus, thank you for the ways that you offer grace and love and healing. So, Lord, before you, we want to open ourselves up to whatever good you have for us. Lord, we want to say yes to you. And Lord, we pray that as you transform us, as we become more loving like Jesus, as we become more forgiving like Jesus, as we become more just like Jesus, 
Lord, that you would help us to operate as your loved children in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our community. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much, friends, for being here. I hope you have a wonderful week. I know for a fact there are snacks and more coffee in the lobby, so feel free to stay and chat. Thanks.